Welcome to the Holistic Health Podcast, beautiful humans. If a professional, polished, well-edited podcast is what you're after, then move right on. If, however, you love unfiltered banter, unedited bloopers, authentic heart sharing, and a very generous dash of holistic health education, then you're in the right place. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Holistic Health Podcast. We are very excited to be bringing you episode three today. Hi, Amy. How are you going? Hi, I'm wonderful. How are you? This is so exciting. Part two. Fabulous. Part two. So last week, as you guys know, we talked about how to lower estrogen if that is a problem for you. And today we wanted to cover how to boost progesterone because often these things go hand in hand um, and it is a really important conversation to have because as you would have learned from last episode, hormones are very much a game of balance as opposed to a game of, you know, one is better than the other. It's really all about how do we get them all working really nicely together and in sync. So the first thing I wanted to dive into is is to kind of go over, I guess, um, a few facts to get us started that I feel like sometimes can be a bit misleading for people or things I just want to clear up straight off the bat. And then I want to just talk a little bit about some overarching you know, symptoms and signs that uh, perhaps low progesterone may be part of your story. And then we'll talk about um, testing and what to do about it and all of the fun things. So, First things first that I want to dive in and share is that the only way to make progesterone is to ovulate. And you do not ovulate if you are taking the pill. Um, You only ovulate some of the time for some people when you have a marina in. Um, And just because you get your period each month, does not mean that you've ovulated each month. So there are certainly ways that you can, um, I guess, monitor yourself as to whether or not ovulation has occurred. And I'll talk about that shortly. Um, And you can also test uh, your progesterone levels, which gives you an indication as to whether you've ovulated or not. But I think sometimes there is a bit, well, there's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of misinformation around, yeah, around progesterone, because although some or many pills do contain uh, what we're told is progesterone, it's actually a progestin, which is absolutely not the same molecule as progesterone as to what we naturally produce in our body and actually has vastly different characteristics and um, doesn't have the benefits that our natural progesterone carries. So there's more to that story, but I just wanted to kind of set the stage a little bit to share a little bit more about that so that everyone was on the same page as we're moving into this conversation a little bit further. Amy, is there anything just like kind of setting the record straight fact-wise that you wanted to add to that before we dive into some signs and symptoms? So I guess the only other thing I'd like to add to that is to just talk about the relationship between progesterone and estrogen and that, you know, sometimes those excess estrogen symptoms are or signs are really just pointing to low progesterone where there's not a balance. And the analogy I like to use is in a vehicle, 
like your car, you have an accelerator and a brake. And estrogen is the accelerator. It's the go fast, go bigger, um, go harder or go home hormone, um, which is great. But you also need the brake, which is the progesterone, the chill, the relax, be at ease, feel zenful um, and peaceful. And you want to be able to, to switch between speeding up and slowing down, you know, at will. And when you aren't producing progesterone, you lose that balancing, calming effect and then can feel really unbalanced, really unbalanced. And so, you know, progesterone is such one of those beautiful, juicy, luscious hormones that are just so important for us to feel incredible and and fully in our power as women, which is why whenever we're not producing it, things can really go south very, very quickly. Mm, I think of it as like, you know, uh, progesterone being the yin and and estrogen Mm -hmm. being the yang and you need them both. Um, And I feel like if you were a hormone, you would be progesterone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're so sweet. I swear to God, I might look like that on the outside. (laughs) But on the inside, inside, you are estrogen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a capital O or E, depending on which country you're from. so funny um okay so let's chat about some signs and symptoms so you know there are many but I the the first ones or some of the top ones that come to mind for me and Amy you can definitely fill in the gaps if I miss any here is that if you were tracking your basal body temperature which we'll probably do a whole episode on this in and of itself because it's not something that's super easy to explain in two minutes and we wouldn't be doing it justice but basically tracking your basal body temperature temperature is exactly as it sounds. You're taking your your body temperature every morning, first thing when you get up before you do anything at all. And what should happen is that um, after you've ovulated, your temperature should shift and stay elevated. Um, There is more to it than that. But basically, if you are tracking your basal body temperature and there is no shift, no temperature shift, uh, then that can, can be one indication that you have not uh, ovulated and therefore you have not produced progesterone. There can be other reasons why your temperatures may be low and we'll talk about more about that when we do an episode on that, but that's one little hint. Uh, another hint is that you have a short luteal phase. So luteal phase being um, the phase after ovulation. So the second half of your period. So um, if it is anything less than about 11 to 12 days, chances are you may be producing some progesterone, but not enough. Um, And that's why that luteal phase um, is shorter. Another little hint is if you see the presence of fertile mucus in in the luteal phase. So fertile mucus is that mucus that is quite uh, watery. It might be um, stretchy as in if you put it between your fingers, it'll like stretch um, and not just like snap away and break. It'll usually stretch between your fingers quite nicely. Some people describe it as looking like egg whites, but I also think that should come with a little bit of a um, I guess an extra bit of information that says that not everyone sees that. Um, and sometimes it just is a feeling of really slippery or wet sensation. So if you are see if you are seeing that in the second 
half of your cycle, that can be an indication that you're not producing enough progesterone because progesterone actually dries up fertile mucus. So that could just be another little hint there. Another one is if you're getting premenstrual spotting um, because progesterone basically helps to hold the uterine lining and prevents it from shedding before, um, you know, it should, I guess. And so if you're someone who you like, you know, in the week leading up to your period, you start to notice some spotting, then that can be another little clue. Um, if you have particularly heavy periods, um, of course, there can be many reasons for that, including um, excess estrogen or endometriosis or adenomyosis, many, many, many reasons, fibroids, but it can also be because you don't have enough progesterone because progesterone thins the uterine lining while estrogen thickens it. Um, and then the other thing, other little hint I would say that's quite common in low progesterone is if you feel quite anxious pre-period or you're having, um, you know, issues with insomnia, um, you know, leading up to your period as well. And it's, it's hard with this one because I think, you know, everybody is a little bit different. And I think subtle shifts in how, I guess, introverted or extroverted you feel or subtle shifts in just perhaps in the second half of your cycle, just needing a little bit more downtime or feeling a little bit more, I guess, introverted. That's quite normal, but feeling like overcome with anxiety, uh, that is not normal. That is often a little clue for you that perhaps you need a little bit of progesterone support. Um, is there anything else that's quite common that you see in your clients that you can think of um, besides obviously measuring progesterone on a blood test, which I'll talk about in a moment, but anything else that you can think of there? Yeah, I think um, the mood thing is definitely a clue and, and some of those things that we might initially think are high estrogen can actually simply be estrogen not being opposed by progesterone in mm. the way that we would like. So um, the anxiety, yes, um, and just also irritability as well. So some of those classic PMS symptoms in addition to premenstrual spotting like tender breasts, fluid retention, um, feeling a bit short-tempered and like just intolerant to people's BS, <laughs> like more so. <laughs> um, you know, that's something we sort of often think, oh, yeah, excess estrogen. But if you're not producing sufficient levels of progesterone, basically by the end of the month, you just haven't got that tempering effect of that yin hormone. So sometimes it can look like excess estrogen, but it's really mm -hmm. low progesterone. So, um, yeah, absolutely. All of those things are red flags that your hormonal balance isn't what it could or should be. And certainly basal temperature is a lovely way of checking that. And then, you know, again, I like the 28-day saliva hormone profile to sort of watch the dance of those hormones through the cycle, especially if there's kind of funny symptoms in the follicular phase as well. Um, and then any one of those things, but especially a handful of them, would prompt me to think, maybe we should have a little look and test. Um, and of course, you know, the, the simplest way is a, is a blood test, which I'm sure you're about to share with us. Yes. Yes. I love me some blood tests. I think that um, they can be really, really, really helpful and accessible 
when you know when to test it and also what you're looking at, which often is is helpful if you have someone on your team to be able to assist you with that. But basically, as you've as you would have as you would have kind of hopefully caught on to by now, there your hormones are moving at different points in your cycle, and therefore we need to we can't just go and test our hormones on any day that we want to and then interpret that. Um, well, you can, but it won't be all that accurate. So what we're wanting to do is uh, test your progesterone in your luteal phase in the second half of your cycle and ideally a- around about five to seven days after you think you've ovulated um, or if you are someone who has a super regular cycle as in you're like, I am always, I don't know, 30 days on the dot or 28 days on the dot, whatever it is, um, then you can kind of count backwards from when you expect to get your period by about five to seven days. And in that window is where we're going to be seeing a reflection of what your progesterone is that month. And it is a snapshot in time, um, but that's just the nature of um, of us being changeable beings that we won't always produce the exact amount of progesterone, same amount of progesterone every cycle. Um, but ideally, when I'm looking at this for a patient, when I think about you know, adequate progesterone, um, I'm, I'm really looking for at least a, a minimum of around 40 nanomoles per liter. And also, I'm interpreting that alongside their their estrogen so in that second phase of your cycle at that exact time usually the ratio um, between the two should be about 10 to 1 and that's where we're talking about looking at that balance um, and that's something just important to remember and again you're interpreting that alongside symptoms I also try and get I also try and get multiple readings. So, you know, I might test it at, at you know one month, and then maybe I'll test it the next next month as well. Or I might give it a couple of cycles after we implement some um, strategies, and then do it again because it can change from month to month, and that's just something important to kind of recognize and, and take into consideration as well. Um, and what else did I want to say on that? And then, yeah, the basal body temperature tracking, which we'll talk about in another episode, can be super, super helpful in terms of something that is free to do at home. You don't need any doctors or referrals to do it. You can literally just learn how to do it yourself and and track it. And I think it's something that everyone, I believe, should try and do at some point in time because I think for a lot of us, I mean, I certainly was in this camp. I had no idea when I ovulated. I didn't even know, like... I didn't. I didn't really understand it. I didn't know uh, what the signs were. I didn't know that it could happen at various points in people's cycles, depending um, on the person. So I think it's it's just a way to become more in tune with your body and to like see that there are these changes that happen and and know how to interpret those, I guess, signs and symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um. So what I want to move on to next, and maybe Amy, you can start with this, is is how does progesterone actually become low in the body? Like what would cause someone to have low progesterone? Mm. So I guess one of the things that is worth bearing in mind is progesterone, I guess, is the end result of vitality and health for the purposes of fertility and reproducing. And I know for many women, um, depending on where they are at in their life, listening to this podcast, 
you know, having a child might not be something that they're interested in at this time, if ever, but we can't have a conversation around healthy hormones without really talking about the biological purpose of them. Mm. And, and then that sort of looking at it through that lens allows you to actually really zoom out and see all of the things that negatively impact progesterone. So progesterone production is ultimately a reflection of the quality of the egg that is being produced every month and the ability of the body to produce a quality egg and therefore a corpus luteum that secretes progesterone afterwards and then support a pregnancy depends on how well you're looking after yourself, like literally in every sense of the word. And I know that probably is the most annoying thing to be told because it, like, it means everything. Um, but, you know, Dr. Lara Bryden said it best when she said your period is your monthly report card and literally mm. your fertility is like your roadmap of how, how healthy you are and how well you are. So what does that mean? That means anything that you're doing in your life that is compromising your mental health or physical health is going to have an influence on egg development and then ultimately progesterone production. So undereating um, mm-hmm. is certainly a big one, which is why um, when women are not consuming enough nutritionally speaking, whether that's macronutrient-wise, calorie-wise or micronutrient-wise, One of the things that, you know, will happen is a loss of the menstrual cycle. Um, So anything that has you lose a menstrual cycle is going to obviously compromise your progesterone. So under eating is one, whether that's not enough calories, not enough protein, not enough fat, not enough vitamins. There are key nutrients, of course, that are quite specific, um, things like vitamin D deficiency. Um, So from a nutritional perspective, there's that. Um, But in addition to that, you've got lifestyle things as well. So here's the thing. So I guess before I dive into any more reasons, um, your nature wants you to survive and nature wants the human race to survive. But sometimes nature has to choose between the two. And if there are any circumstances in your life, physically, emotionally, energetically, that are a danger to you, you falling pregnant is dangerous. So Mm. this sort of comes back, you know, a little bit to sort of cave man and cave woman days, but Let's just say the good old you know, days, the yeah, simple good, days, <laughs> simple, the simple life. <laughs> and do you ever fantasize about what that would be like? I am, yes. I'm sure it's not as good as it is, is in my head, but like the stresses that we have to deal with these days are pervasive, persistent, and ubiquitous. And it is a lot for a girl's nervous system to deal with. Um, but back in the good old days, it was usually a very self-limiting experience. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you were being confronted by a wild animal that wanted to eat you, um, you needed to be able to fight that animal off, run super fast or freeze to the point where it couldn't see you. So that, those are the three responses your nervous system chooses from. But in that moment, you are, um, it's over very quickly, whatever, whichever way it goes, let's just put Mm. it that way. 
And so those impacts on your um, HPO axis, so the connection between your hypothalamus, pituitary gland and ovaries is restored very quickly or you're not around anymore and either way pregnancy is not a problem for you. But here's the thing. I, I mean, not all of us can like run like Usain Bolt anyway, but have you ever seen a pregnant woman sprint? <laughs> Pretty sure it's like physically impossible. <laughs> <laughs> and so your body like if your if your adrenaline and cortisol is being chronically triggered aka you're telling your cells it's dangerous here the environment is unsafe your body's like oh hell no you can't get pregnant because you know you're going to have enough trouble surviving as it is without waddling around at the pace of a snail so what's happening when you're chronically stressed and lots of things cause chronic stress in the body, not even just psychological stuff, your body's like, uh-uh, not today, like not this week, not this month, uh, not this month either. It's mm-hmm. still looking really dangerous out there. And it dials down a hormone called gonadotrophin releasing hormone, which is the hormone that stimulates FSH, which allows you to develop an egg, which then allows you to produce progesterone. And so like, we could probably do 10 podcasts on all the things that could oh, your progesterone, <laughs> but I promise I've picked just a select few um, <laughs> to, to go through. And I'm going to, I'm going to leave the thyroid stuff to you. So any sort of physiological imbalance, illness, autoimmune stuff, especially is going to compromise fertility and therefore progesterone production, but um, eating enough fat, eating enough protein, getting enough micronutrients, are obviously, you know, healthy hormones 101. And maybe we can do another podcast on eating for healthy hormones because, again, that's a really big subject too. But mm-hmm. having adequate nutrition and adequate, you know, micronutrients, vitamin D in particular, is a major one. But so much of what impacts our hormone health are things that are um, lifestyle related that maybe we don't even realize are creating problems for us. So I guess the two, um, two ones I want to talk about are the impact of stress and depletion on the body and also blue light. We just can't have a conversation about progesterone without talking about blue light. So Stress and depletion are not synonymous with one one another, but they often occur concomitantly. And the depletion is not just nutritionally speaking, but like energetically speaking. You know, are you filling your own cup with things that are good for your nervous system, good for your soul, good for your heart? Um, If you are unable to nourish yourself energetically, on an energetic level, you can't nourish a second human being either. And therefore, again, the body's like, Mm-mm, you can't, you can't do this. You can't even look after yourself right now. So um, I hope that's received with love. <laughs> it sounds really harsh. It sounds really harsh coming out of my mouth like that. But um, truly, like on a biological, physiological point of view, that's what's going on. So things like overexercise, not getting enough sleep not having breaks, not taking time out regularly to recharge yourself, ground yourself, um, enjoy yourself, you know, foster things that um, stretch you and grow you. Uh, I know it sounds so, it's it's almost sounding a bit woo-woo, isn't it? But like it's beyond supplements um, and nutrition Mm. as well. Those things obviously really help, but it is truly your hormones are a reflection of how well you're caring for yourself. 
Would you agree? <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. And I think, I mean, sometimes the truth is hard to hear, but we'll <laughs> we'll just dish it out anyway. And we say that also being people who have to do that too and recognize oh, that, yes. you know, it is a lot easier said than done. And the layer that I add to it as well is sometimes I think there can be a bit of confusion, not confusion, but busyness is also a stress. So I think sometimes um we can be really full and that can be very much in our masculine, very much in the doing. Mm -hmm. And um, even if it's full with things that bring us joy and it might be that you are a business owner and you love what you do, but you are constantly working or thinking or very in that go-go kind of masculine energy. And while that's great, if it's not balanced out with um, something that I guess is a little bit more parasympathetic calming then that can still become something that is a barrier and there are variations from person to person I mean we all know people who have been stressed out of their brains and still fallen pregnant and we're not here to talk about the outliers we're talking about you know what is true for most of us Mm. Um, and so I just thought I'd I'd, I'd point that out because I know that there'll be people sitting there being like, oh, well, I knew this person who fell pregnant really easily and they ate terribly and they didn't take any supplements and they were really stressed. And of course, like there are always going to be exceptions to the rule, but, you know, we're talking about, you know, what can you do and, and what also what can potentially be barriers that are, you know, within your control to have a handle on. And I also think it's it's very much about people's perception of stress too, because mm. how we perceive stresses is how much it like it contributes to how much we feel them on a visceral level and an emotional body level and therefore a a kind of physiological level as well. And and every body has different responses to the same stress. A hundred percent. And this is all about stacking the odds in your favor, I Mm. think. Um, And, and having optimal outcomes as opposed to sort of surviving or, you know, it's really about feeling your very best at all times. Um, And I think one of the areas that that really falls down is, I mean, any environmental influence that's harmful to our health can of course impact hormones, um, including Mm. progesterone. And and we have touched on some of those in the past. So, uh, and even in the estrogen um, episode in part one of this pair, we talked about, you know, BPA, phthalates, things like that. Mm. Um, That being said, um, one of the biggest environmental influences that I see impacting um, progesterone is artificial light and you know, the blue and ultraviolet light specifically. Mm. And basically, you know, I wouldn't want to go back to the time before electricity for sure. Um, But, you know, prior to having electricity, we were active during the hours of daylight and we were resting and pretty still through the hours of nighttime. And the only light that we had access to was flame. So that was candles and, you know, fire, um, flames from the fire and no blue light is emitted from those. And anyone who's, you know, sat in the dark, 
staring at a fire or just, you know, at a candle will attest to that incredibly calming, centering, mm. grounding and slowing effect that it has. And now that we have electricity and artificial light, especially cooler lights like LEDs and fluorescence, um, not to mention digital devices, um, our physiology hasn't caught up. And what I mean by that is we have got seasons in life. We have um, obviously weather seasons, annual patterns, and for women especially, we have these monthly lunar cycles. And the way our body knows where it is in time and space at any time is based on the amount of light of where we are. So our 24-hour circadian rhythm and our melatonin secretion is dictated to by light exposure. Now, what does this have to do with hormones? A couple of things. Um, first of all, we need that dark and light sleep and wake to um, do and to be and recover and rest. And so for optimal health, mentally and physically, we need really good rest and sleep and adequate amounts of it. But in addition to that, melatonin, which is most people know it as our sleep hormone, which it certainly is, but it's one of the most powerful antioxidants we make, like a master antioxidant, anti-cancer, and the egg on boards that in a really significant way. So any insufficiencies with melatonin will compromise egg quality, which will compromise progesterone production. And what's happening now with the blue light and artificial light, so light exposure after sunset's a problem, but um, full stop, but like the nature of it is most often, you know, in the blue and the ultraviolet range, which is telling our body it's midday. And so it's suppressing melatonin and increasing cortisol, which totally throws our hormones off. So in terms of that, um, it's really interesting, actually, back in the 80s, there was a study done that showed most women would bleed on the dark or new moon and ovulate around a full moon. Mm. And again, sorry, this is very sort of fertility heavy talk, but knowing that your hormones are a product of your fertility, you sort of can't separate the two, but it would have been, you know, more light, um, more light means less melatonin, more active. So that would have been the time that we would have probably had more sex as well. Mm. And we would have, and, you know, the men would have been sleeping much deeper in the dark, dark, you know, nights where it was the new moon or a dark moon. And that would have, you know, we would have been left alone to bleed and, and have our own time and peace. And so, <laughs> you know, and so they, they found in the eighties, that was kind of the this caveman life is just looking more and more appealing. <laughs> just leave me to bleed in the dark, please. Yes. yes I know. Go and sleep in your cave and don't snore too loudly um so so but now that we've got artificial light we can turn it on and off at any time our our bodies are like well what is it are we in the beginning of the month end of the month is it daytime is it nighttime i'm confused right it's light which means we don't want you to fall asleep because that tiger will see you out in the middle of the savannah lying there unconscious so let's keep you awake jack up the cortisol drop the melatonin and just hope to keep you alive until it's nighttime again. And it's very, very stressful on the body. So I guess some practical ways to address that um, are, you know, limit artificial light as much as possible. Um, if it's not possible to live your life by candlelight after sunset, which let's be honest, it's not. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone has their hand up. <laughs> no, no, not even me, even though that would be nice. Um, what I have is I have got... Um, 
I've swapped out a number of bulbs in lamps for bulbs that do not emit any blue or green or ultraviolet light, only amber or orange wavelengths. And so that's what I'll do the dishes by, move around the house by, brush my teeth by until it's bedtime. Um, But if I have to be on a device for any reason or I need to turn on like traditional artificial light, I'll make sure my skin is as covered as possible um, and I'll wear blue blocking glasses like ones that actually work um and so there are ways you can really attenuate the impact of artificial light on your system but truly it's probably one of the most significant things you can do and just to share a personal experience um with you know with COVID and everything happening stress I'm sure impacted everyone's cycles Mm -hmm. in all kinds of ways and the minute I got rid of artificial light for good my cycle which tends to be on the long side because of PCOS dropped down by three days literally the next month Mm -hmm. and I came into line with a perfect cycle and have been that way ever since so it sounds like such a simple thing to do although contemplating it might feel a bit overwhelming initially it's actually very very easy to do and it makes a significant difference to your life your quality of sleep and of course your progesterone levels Mm. and do you is there a a brand or a few brand examples of the bulbs that you use and Mm -hmm. the blue light blockers Yes. So there are a few brands that are legitimate. There are a lot that are not FYI um, and don't do what they say they do. But an electrospectrometer to measure that's two grand. So you can't really check very easily if they are legit or not. So for the bulbs, my preferred brand is Block Blue Light. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think their website's blockbluelight.com.au. We'll put some links in the show notes, actually. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you the ones that I like specifically. Um, and the reason I prefer those over another brand that I also love is just the softer. Um, and because I guess I'm I'm a super keen being with getting rid of too much light, they just... I just find them the most relaxing and calming. Um, but the bl- the Blue Blockers brand that I like is what I like to recommend to people the most is Blue Blocks, and that's yeah, B-L-U. That's what I use. Yeah, B L U B L O X and Block Blue Light do great glasses as well. But I found that Blue Blocks have a better range, I think are a bit more stylish. Not that that's the priority, but also let's be honest, if they're ugly, you're not going to wear them, Um, which is why I resisted getting some for so long. When I first wanted to wear them, they were just like, the frames that were available made you look like someone off the cast of train spotting. I wore them. I wore those <laughs> construction ones. And it was so early on before they were even a thing. And mm-hmm. I remember my brother being like, what are you doing? Like just in the very <laughs> big brother voice of like, yeah, yeah. the fuck is wrong with you now? Yes, <laughs> like, I know. We've accepted you up until this point, but yeah. what is actually up? Like yeah. why do you look like you're going to go and weld something when it's 8 o'clock at night? <laughs> or to a rave in like Birmingham <laughs> at 3 a.m. I know. Can you be less weird, please? Yeah. It down. I will not apologise. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I just think that's so amazing that you were that 
committed. I just just couldn't do it. Um, but now you don't you don't have to be quite so unusual looking to partake. And my main reason I like the Blue Blocks one is they also offer the um, service with your prescription. So mm. there are a couple of ways you can do it. You can um, you can give them send them your prescription. And they will make the lens to order and include whatever level of blue light blocking um, lens you need. So you can have clear ones for daytime. You can have yellow ones for sort of afternoon and red ones for after dark. Um, But the other thing that they offer, which I think is fantastic, is you can send them um, your own frames and they'll make it to fit your glasses. Mm. So um, that wasn't a thing for me until a couple of years ago, but now that I do really need to wear glasses on the computer to not, you know, strain my eyes, um, it's a real gift once you've found frames that you really love that they don't mm. necessarily have because their range is, you know, it's kind of small. You can actually just have that technology included in your prescription and get the best of both worlds, which I think um, has also been a bit of a barrier because up until that was an avail- was available, you had to like clip on, again, gross, like clip on, you know, blue blocking things over your prescription glasses. And, you know, some people don't mind, but I'm in the camp of those that do. <laughs> <laughs> I have to send you a picture of me and my blue light blockers because I still have my ones that I got from ages ago, not the construction ones, but they're still, they're not exactly stylish. And I wear mine over my glasses and my glasses are not small as you can see so I wear these and then I wear mine over my glasses and I yeah I think I'm in that minor camp of those people where you're like do they do they know what they look like today but I just it's like any anything that will make me healthier I just don't have a barrier but I do I have actually like in a in a very practical sense it's fucking annoying because they fall off all the time so I'm definitely at a point where I want to get more prescription ones for for night time because it is you know ugly <laughs> that's not my problem but it's more so annoying because they do slip down and fall off and I've got two layers of unclean glasses because I am that person that constantly has smudges on my frame so I think it's it's so good that they have that service and actually you reminded me that I need to revisit that mm. Amazing. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So many good tips. Okay. So I want to bring, uh, round out the conversation on um, how progesterone becomes low in the body. I think you pretty much covered everything that I would have said anyway. The only thing I wanted or a couple of things I wanted to um, not necessarily add, but reiterate or flesh out a bit is I guess the the thyroid side of things. So um, having an underactive thyroid can absolutely um, be a contributing factor as to why someone has low progesterone, um, usually because hyperlactin um, can exist in hypothyroidism. And when you have hyperlactin, it suppresses ovulation. And ovulation, as we've said earlier, is the only way you can make progesterone. Mm -hmm. So some other kind of causes of hyperlactin, we've kind of honestly covered covered them a lot in terms of stress is probably the most common one. Um, and that is, or we've already gone into what stress 
can look like. Um, high estrogen or estrogen dominance, high hist, like having high histamine levels, which we spoke a little bit about in the previous episode as well. Um, and then also being insulin resistance, some antidepressants can also cause uh, an increase in prolactin um, and in some people with PCOS, not everyone, but in some people. Um, and then the other thing would be, and I guess, again, this comes down to stress on the body, but inflammation. So um, again, we've pretty much mentioned all of them, but I also wanted to just highlight that food intolerances can also be a form of inflammation or stress on the body. So that's why addressing that for yourself, if you know that something's not quite right for you, you have some gut symptoms, you have some skin symptoms or other hints that maybe there's some foods that you're eating that aren't quite right for your body that can definitely come in and have an impact on that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also love that you highlighted in terms of food and, you know, A, not having enough or not eating the right balance of things. And something that I feel like has come up quite a number of times over the years of practicing that I've definitely noticed is that um, for a lot of women following a um, wholly plant-based diet where they're not supplementing really well or perhaps where it's it's not quite the right match for them, mm-hmm. um, you know, we do run into situations where those diets tend to be deficient in really important minerals and nutrients for ovulation and for healthy hormones such as zinc and vitamin A, iodine and iron. So I think it's important to um, keep that in mind when you're choosing the way to eat or if you are someone who is really passionate about being on a fully plant-based diet, then um, at the very least starting to investigate whether or not those deficiencies are you know, prevalent for you and and, and also implementing things to try and correct those. And um, a lot of the time that will often have to look like supplementation um, because you can run into trouble trying to get all of those met just through plant-based foods, which... Um, Yes, I can talk, we can talk more about in another episode. Mm. The final little part to this that I wanted to cover off is, is supplements, is things that people or we find ourselves recommending to patients when we want to help to support healthy progesterone levels. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, when we're speaking about these, we're talking about basically, you know, what's in our toolkit, not that every single one of these is necessary or even appropriate for everyone, because particularly when it comes to herbs, there can be certain herbs where we're like, you know, this will work super well for some per- for one person and it'll actually be detrimental for another person. Mm-hmm. So I might just start off with a couple of nutrients um, mm-hmm. and then um, maybe you can add some any extra nutrients you want to add in or any herbs as well that you kind of have in your toolkit. Mm-hmm. So the nutrients that I think of first are very mm-hmm. much zinc, um, B vitamins, particularly B6, but, you know, they all play a really important role. Magnesium, like that trio, like B, zinc, magnesium, um, so good. Like, and I've seen that alone correct some serious hormonal imbalances, which is fantastic. Mm. Vitamin C is another one. Um, 
Iron, if it's deficient, it's not something you want to supplement with if you already have enough because too much iron can also be a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And then vitamin A and iodine would be my other two, again, in the context of a deficiency or not having enough, not necessarily just chucking shitloads in for the sake of it. They're very much things where I would want to know um, where they're at before I started using high doses of them. They're probably the first nutrients for me that come to mind. Um, do you want to add any nutrients to that or, or just jump straight into herbs? No, I think that's such a beautiful um, list and all of them crucial in their own unique ways. And, yeah, as you said, certainly for some of them it's only if you are deficient. Um, but the, there's a couple of other ones that I would maybe also consider, again, coming through the lens of the health of your egg determines the progesterone mm. production. Um, so coenzyme Q10 would be something I would consider because, um, you know, creating a new human or the potential life potential needs a lot of energy. And many of us could do with more energy. And then there are some of us that have, you know, issues with mitochondrial function specifically. So anyone with a mit- what we would say is a mitochondrial disorder, probably the most obvious one is chronic fatigue syndrome. Anything that helps support mitochondrial function is going to be a really powerful addition. So coenzyme Q10, NADH, um, so anywhere where there needs to be more energy, more yang, um, and yeah knack would be incredible as well because of course for lots of reasons um it helps hormones fertility antioxidant status things like that um and the sulfur component of it too is really important um the other ones i would think about are essential fatty acids particularly epa and dha um, but also choline as well choline is a a phospholipid um or a lipid-based nutrient i suppose you could call it and is one that's really crucial for fertility um, and general health as well and one that i find a lot of people aren't getting enough of um, and that Mm. can definitely affect hormones Um, i suppose the other thing to sort of um, just to kind of zip back to diet for a second is that our hormones are made from cholesterol, our steroid hormones, and having enough cholesterol in our body as a substrate. It's like trying to build a house without enough bricks to finish the job. So, you know, you want to be getting enough choline, essential fatty acids, um, and, and other good fats in the diet as well to make sure your body has a regular supply of the building blocks that it needs literally to make your hormones. Um, But then moving on from nutrients, nutrients is always ground zero. So um, vitamins and minerals come first, herbs come second, because even though herbs can contain a lot of complementary nutrients, they tend to be in very small amounts. And again, if you're trying to like get more performance out of your car, you can add, and I'm going to give away my petrol head days here. (laughs) 
I'm like, I'll have no idea what you're speaking no, of. I'm, no, I'm lucky no. if I. And probably no one else will either, but I'm going to just. I just rely that. on the labels at the petrol station. I'm like, yeah, please yeah, don't yeah. make my car blow up. Please yeah, be yeah. the one that's right. Don't seize the engine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so if you're thinking about your hormones or your body like a high-performance car, right, if, you know, Ferrari racing at the Formula One, you can have the best mag wheels, you can fuel inject, you can have a blow-off valve, you know, all of that sort of stuff, which would be like adding herbs. But if you don't put fuel in the tank, that thing ain't coming out of the pits Mm. at all. And so fuel first always, that's going to be your diet and your nutritional supplements to sort of augment where you might need a bit of support. Herbs Herbs will work far better once you've got that foundation right. And if there are key fundamentals missing from your diet or your nutritional um, suite, herbs are going to produce a very limited result and may not get you the result that you're looking for at all. So that being established, um, once you've got those foundations right, herbs can just supercharge and help you quantum leap where you want to go. And probably the most popular herb is Vitex, also Mm known as chaste tree and as you mentioned before whenever you're considering taking anything you want to check with a a clinician whether it's appropriate for you and in this case vitex is not appropriate for women who have high luteinizing hormone Mm -hmm. it can actually make things worse so test don't guess but if your lh is not um, out of range or elevated out of range, then Vitex could be a really good option for you. And it really helps to promote ovulation, egg development, and it's commonly used to um, increase progesterone, but it's because of how it supports the egg to develop properly. I love it. I love Vitex so very, very much. It's such a brilliant um, herb in a toolkit for hormonal health, um, fertility. And I also really love to utilize it when women are coming off the pill to bring their ovaries back online more quickly. Now, it's a bit controversial. Some practitioners are, and I also understand where they're coming from, they're of the mindset to sort of leave it for a while and bring it in maybe later. But because I work with skin and acne, um, I prefer to bring it in pretty quickly to help prevent people's skin going bad. So anyway, that aside, it's an amazing herb to really help bring ovulation and therefore progesterone production to an optimal level. Now, there are lots of other herbs you could use and you might use those in addition to Chase or Vitex if it's not enough. I know wild yam is a really popular one. So it depends which um, season a woman is in as well. So, for example, Mm -hmm. if you're of childbearing age, um, Vitex is likely, you know, sufficient or you might add a few other balancing herbs in there like pleiotropic herbs. If, however, you are on the menopause runway and your body is trying to shut up the baby shop, the it's probably that you called it a runway. Like fashion. <laughs> yes, <laughs> menopause runway. You're taxiing into your postmenstrual chapter of life. 
your body's like, oh, come on. Like we've already been doing this baby making shenanigans for a long mm. time. We're, we're, we're checking out, we're retiring. And so Vitex, Vitex is great in the first phase of menopause to try and keep you ovulating for as long as possible. Um, and, and that's great. But there's a period of time after which you can't flog a dead horse. Your ovaries are like, mm-mm, we're, you know, we've, we've gone and we've moved to Fiji and we're not coming back. Yeah, bye-bye, so, Alicia. We are on yeah. we out (laughs) so vitex then wouldn't be appropriate for that season of life but um certainly that would be the first thing that i would think of would that be the same for you when you're looking to boost progesterone yeah i i i think that i vitex i find is one of those herbs where when it's appropriate, works so well. But I've also seen it be very misused, particularly in that context of when someone has PCOS, for example, with LH dominance that you mentioned. And I also think that for some people in my experience, if they already have high androgen symptoms, Um, If the dose is too high for them or it's used too long, sometimes it can worsen those symptoms. Mm -hmm. It's not in in every single person, but it's something to kind of keep an eye out for. And then um, also in some people who already have a propensity towards high dopamine, so people who are kind of feel like ragey, like pre-period or like I I think there's some people that just don't respond well to it, but I feel like it's one of those things where you know when you don't respond well to it. Mm. Um, And I think testing can help. And I think being under the guidance of a practitioner can help because when it works, so amazing, so powerful, such a great herb. But what I think, yeah, I just think sometimes it's thrown out there on the blogospheres and people just go and grab it and they just, keep taking it and taking it because it's, you know, touted as being so amazing for um, hormones and for some people it's not particularly the right thing. So I think that's where it just comes back to, as you said, really getting some help with it, especially when it comes to the herbal side of things because when those foundations are in place and we are using herbs, they can be very powerful. And um, I think the herbal selection is very much dependent on, as you said, season of life um, and also on what is driving that, um, you know, that low progesterone. So I guess as a maybe like a practical example of that is if someone is not ovulating and not producing progesterone because they might have high prolactin or or a lot of um, stress, then I think of something like rhodiola or some passionflower for, um, you know, helping to mitigate that stress response or, um, you know, there's, there's different times where we think of different things. So I think it's... Um, Herbs are such a beautiful tool, but I think when it comes to hormones, they are one of those tools where there's potential for great benefit and also potential for not not harm in a like a you're going to die way, but like to kind of prevent you from getting the outcome you want. So I think that it's just making sure that people are aware that, you know, natural medicine is still powerful and that can be a beautiful thing or it can also work against us if you're not using it 
um, mm. in the way that is specific to you. Yes, 100%. Um, I just wanted to add one other thing too, and that is um, progestogenic herbs can also help to attenuate the high estrogen. So um, what I mean by that is the way the feedback system in the body works is FSH will drive egg development until estrogen reaches a certain point and then it will switch off. Now, if you've got high estrogen, um, that you're going to reach that point more quickly and before the eggs actually matured. And this is where we see shorter follicular phases sometimes. And then as a result, the egg is actually ejected from the ovary and it's immature and it's not capable of performing its functions and same with the corpus luteum. Whereas if you use progestogenic herbs to sort of, I guess, oppose the estrogen somewhat, ideally in conjunction with lowering the excess estrogen, you uh, allow that, again, that FSH or that follicular phase to really do its job properly and move the ovulation date to the ideal central point in the cycle, Mm. Um, you know, a roughly 28-day cycle. And so, as you say, it's, it's quite nuanced. It's where the person is, what their goals are, what season of life they're in, and what's really driving those two things, what's which what's bringing progesterone down, what's driving estrogen up and really tackling those things. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I, I think again, it goes back to this kind of concept as we've been saying all along, like get the foundations right. Um, and often that is enough to move people in the right direction. And then when, or if it's not, or, you know, you're trying to turn things around a little bit uh, quicker, then um, herbs can be like the icing on the cake and be really, really beneficial as, um, you know, when they're prescribed appropriately for you. So I love that. And I, I think um, in the interest of time, we might round out that conversation and uh, there. Um, and as I said earlier, we'll absolutely expand on a few of these different things that we've mentioned through the podcast already because, you know, there is so, so much to hormones. And I think it can be easy to feel overwhelmed sometimes when you're listening to this stuff as you know, for the first time or even the second time or the third time where it's like, oh my God, how does this even all happen? But honestly, guys, if you just really take it back to nourishing yourself and getting those foundations right, you're like 80 to 90% of the way there. So I think that, you know, our bodies are like just friggin' amazing, like so amazing. I was talking to one of my pregnant friends the other day and we are just you know, on the phone and she's in the early days of pregnancy. And I, I was just like, oh my God, you're literally like, you're probably building a brain right now while we're speaking. And it's just incredible what we do without even knowing about it. So I think just really trusting that and just continuing to try and come back to basics. And then when you feel like, you know what, something's still not quite right here, getting Mm -hmm. some help with that, um, to refine a little bit further and, and bring things all back into balance because I do think that we are meant to thrive. We are meant to have balanced hormones. We're meant to be cyclical beings. And yes, they can get out of balance um, and we have tools in our toolkit to bring them back in. So I think I will leave my my two cents there. Is there anything you want to add in before we wrap up? 
Oh, that was just such a perfect summary um, about how just amazing our bodies are and truly they are designed to be healthy and well. And just to reiterate what you said, the, the bulk of the heavy lifting is removing what's in the way. Um, and, and, you know, so much of that is in our control. So just mm. trust that if you're having challenges with your hormones, it's simply your body's way of communicating to you that something is out of balance in your life or something is missing that it needs. And it's going to give you direct feedback as you take steps to restoring that um, equilibrium and homeostasis. And so, yeah, just, just really just trust that your body is working for your highest good and you just have to um, get out of your own way sometimes. <laughs> Love that. Love, love, love it. Well, we will see you all again next week. And in the meantime, if you have any questions or topics you want covered on the podcast, reach out to either of us on Instagram or send an email through to support at nataliekdouglas.com and we will continue creating episodes that you guys get benefit from and um, as you can tell we have plenty to say on all of the things (laughs) see you next time bye for now